Get ready to ignite your real estate business with the Launcher Farm Podcast. Our episodes are packed with inspiration, success stories, and expert strategies that will help you dominate your geographic farm. So tune in and enjoy. Learn the fundamentals, learn why it works, practice, practice, practice constantly. Like we said in the beginning of this conversation, reflect upon what you did, twist it a little bit, and go back and try it again. It's constantly repeat. Welcome back to another episode of Launcher Farm Show. I'm your host, Ryan Smith, and today we've got a great guest. It's Peter Porcelli. He is the weird beard of real estate. He is a fantastic agent and has a lot of experience that I'm super excited to dive into and share with my audience. So Peter, take a second, tell us a bit about yourself and why you're here. Uh, my name is Peter Porcelli. I've been a real estate licensee, I guess is the right word to say. Um, since 2002, and I've done everything there is, well, I shouldn't say everything. I've done a lot of things there are in the real estate business from being um, a real estate agent to I was a broker uh, to owning my own brokerage and having over 100 agents. And uh, these days, I spend most of my time coaching and consulting with agents, um, and particularly newer agents, so that they don't develop those bad habits that it's so hard to break once you do start producing. Yeah. And, you know, prevent them from actually leaving the business altogether. That's that's huge. I want to dive into that because I think that is a big part of really setting those the ground rules up front for agents who are going to create some bad habits. I want to dive into that. But before we do, I also mentioned that you obviously spend a bit of your time keeping that beard groomed because I think that's a, I don't know how much of your day is spent doing that, but uh, it looks good. Only about an hour a day. <laughs> so, yeah. So you mentioned. No, you, I mean, actually, kinda... that's the reason I grew this beard so that I didn't have to mess with my face so much. You know, it's all this shaving and lotions and creams and potions. And you know what? I can actually just roll out of bed and then I'm good to go. Nobody knows that it's been three days since I showered. <laughs> exactly. For my wife. <laughs> So yeah, you mentioned you've done a number of things. Let's talk about the kind of beginning world of you for when you got into this business, what got into the business and, and what did that look like for you for the first couple of years? Uh, I went to college and I wanted to be a stockbroker. And so I started taking business classes and uh, I had this, uh, I had this wonderful professor, his name was Alan Schlack and, or still is Alan Schlack. <laughs> and he taught, uh, he was an attorney and he was a real estate investor and he taught business law 101. And so I was just absolutely fascinated with this class. I showed up early, you know, I never left before the class was over. I never took a, a bathroom break. I was fascinated by this stuff. And he taught a real estate law section as well. So I went and took that class too. And he would say things like, um, oh, you know, that house on the corner of this and that, you know, the blue one with the green shutters. Well, I used to own that house. Well, there's this easement pertinent that runs behind it. And he would use all of this. So one day I went to him and I said, you know, I think I want to be a real estate investor. Do you think it would be smart for me to get a license and learn with someone else's money first? And he said, yeah, I think that's great. And so he actually hooked me up with my first brokerage that I was part of. He did a lot of business with them. And then I got to go in the field with him a lot. And um, that was, uh, I mean, an education that I couldn't pay for. Mm. Um, and I got paid to do it as well. And I mean, it was for me, that was the pivotal thing that helped me to propel into this business, aside from also understanding um, numbers really well and started getting into 
all the statistics and things and starting to use that to help attract business. It was that foundational part of knowing how a house is built, knowing what needs to be repaired, knowing what's behind the wall and signs of this mean that, you know, you walk in and you're like, oh, there's something dead in here. You know, we used to go into properties where you would walk in and walk out and there would literally be fleas on your pants. Um, you know, the kind of place where you can't be in there for longer than three or four minutes because the ammonia is burning your eyes so bad. Uh, so I got to see houses in that repair and then also see them as they get fixed and then sold and see that value. And so I, I thought I was going to be a real estate investor, but then very quickly thereafter, I got into brokerage management and kind of left the investor thing behind. Okay. So you obviously switch gears. Obviously, the skills you learned carried over into that next phase of your life. What were you doing then when you were in, in that real estate management side of things? And how did that kind of play out as well? And the real estate management side? Yeah. Um, I was 27 years old and I looked like I was 15. In fact, <laughs> um, that's part of the one of the reasons I may have grown the beard. I actually didn't grow the beard until years later, but I actually met the guy who was the number one brokerage guy for Keller Williams in all of uh, the Southeast of the United States. And he was out of Atlanta. His name is Sean Rawls. And so I was told you are going to be the next Sean Rawls. And Keller Williams had recruited me to run one of their offices. So I went to some conference they were having and I actually saw, I met him standing at the urinal. And so um, I looked over at him and I was like, hey, you're Sean. Everybody says I'm supposed to be the new you and he looked over at me and he was an older looking guy with a, a distinguished beard and he looked at me he said kid if you're going to be me you're going to need to grow a beard <laughs> and uh that's that's the way we met and he was he was a legend in real estate in atlanta for a long while and uh so i just got into you know keller Williams does a really good job of training their team leaders on consulting and coaching and yep. obviously the recruiting is an, an outcropping of those services that you provide to agents so I got to see it from that side and got to, to go to national conferences a lot and meet with other brokers and team leaders. And that gave me a tremendous education on how things are different in my local market versus the rest of the nation or the rest of the continent, really. Um, not, not just like the way that the MLSs operate, uh, but also the services that are provided or things that agents find to be, um, you know, some places they do surveys and others they don't. Some places get termite letters and others don't. And the the amount of emphasis that's placed on those things. And, you know, that that was a big eye-opener as well as how different it is everywhere. Yeah. And they say real estate's hyper-local. And from the actual real estate itself, from the prices, from the market, from the how the transactions are done. However, there, I know I'm sure you'll agree is that there are a lot of similarities and which is what I want to dive into with you today is there are things that are very common, regardless if you're here, there, or wherever, there are certain principles and foundations that are effective. There are things that work in this business. There are things that I think don't work. And we've chatted a lot about strategy. So I want to talk about your book. And that's part of the reason I want to have you on here because you have an awesome book that I think is a little bit different than what most people expect. And, but I think it's a fantastic way to explain real estate in a different way and in a fun way and in a way that you can really learn from. So why don't you just kind of briefly describe it and let's dive into some of the, the, the content and, and the principles of, of your book and, and what the, how that relates to agents. Sure. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. It's um, the Politically Incorrect Real Estate Agent Handbook. The subtitle is a serious how-to manual with a sense of humor. And that's precisely what it is. It's uh, It's a recipe guide for agents that are either new, intermediate, or in the business for a long time. I think that there are 
there are either basic strategies and understandings that uh, shouldn't be difficult to comprehend, but then also little nuggets and tidbits that can help the very experienced agent say, ah, I never really thought about it like that. And I also tell folks, you know, read it, go practice real estate, and then come back and read it again. You're going to get new insight once you've actually done it. It's kind of like the armchair quarterback. You know, you can sit around and watch yeah. football and say, oh, I do it this way or that way. But I got to tell you, until you're on the field and you get your face smashed a few times, you know, the guys come up underneath you, uh, <laughs> yeah. face mask and punch you in the chin. You know, the coach is like, punch them back. Um, until you get a bloody nose from the lessons learned, then it doesn't really stick as yeah. well. And so I think it's easy to read. It's easy to flip through and find something. And um, it also has lots of pictures, which I think, you know, makes any book worthwhile. Uh, ever since I was a child, I was always fascinated with the photos. And these are all from the Library of Congress. They're all nice. from the 1920s. And so I, I spent time Photoshopping each one of them to make them just right. Uh, and the cool thing about this is that there are flow charts in the back. So the left side is the buyer flow chart. The right side is the seller flow chart. And it's it can serve as the index for the book because it's got every step from the moment that you meet a buyer or a seller and uh, going through all the steps to get them signed up to agency, uh, show them properties or market the property, go pending on a contract, uh, amending agreements, and they get to the closing. And the book also has a lot of cross-references in it. So you actually can go from one page to the next. You're reading along and it says something. Instead of trying to repeat what that means over and over again, it's just got a, a quick little number there that you can cross-reference, go to another page and read about that. So it's got everything from prospecting to presentations to um, agency, um, contracts, and a little bit of all the parts. I actually, this book is 370 pages and I trimmed a hundred pages out of it. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, and there's so, a lot. And, yeah, I, and, and I think that's important for a lot of agents because when we get started, and we get our license, we have this vision of what we think real estate is. We see it on TV. We think it's just, we should op open some doors and write some contracts and make a bunch of money. And the reality is there is a lot of moving parts and there's a lot of processes and things that need to happen. And like you said, with the flow charts, when you understand the process and when you understand how that should look, it becomes easier to backfill. But I want to dive into, because we, you and I chatted prior to this about your history with teaching agents after they got their license, because I think there's a very distinct difference in the education that agents get getting their license and then I'm sure in most areas and then the education they get after. And I think that's a good starting place to really dive in because learning how to sell real estate is very different than learning to get your license. So share your experience and then, and then we can kind of dive in more. The pre-license course has meant nothing more than to pass the test and to become licensed. And there are some really good things that they teach in there, but it's mainly law definitions uh, and a little bit of math and a little bit of math about, you know, how to do um, you know, square footage of a property and stuff like that. That has nothing to do with selling property. In fact, it's, it's almost like it's a dummy test that the state uses in order to generate revenue so that they can, um, I guess it's a revenue center. And so one has nothing to do with the other. I know real estate agents that are born salespeople and they just go right after this. They don't even know how to log into the MLS. You know, there's yeah. one guy I knew and he had, uh, he got 30 listings his first month as a real estate agent and sold 63 properties at the end of his first year. 
this guy never knew how to even log into the MLS. He didn't, uh, he didn't take pictures. He didn't put signs in yards. He prospected six hours a day. And for six to eight hours a day, he was out on presentation appointments. And so the stuff that you learn at pre-license, I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. A lot of people do. They say cram it in there and pass the test. I actually took some of the stuff that I learned in that course and applied it to my real estate practice. For example, adverse possession. It's this concept that a lot of people may have heard of. They don't really understand it, but it's the lawful uh, theft of someone else's property. And there are steps and rules that you can go through. And I identified a piece of property one time that was not for sale. I had a client that wanted a piece of commercial property. I identified it. I saw that it was a, uh, you could tell by the shape of the building that it used to be a Domino's pizza. Mm -hmm. And so I did all the homework on the property. I couldn't find the owner. I hired a skip tracer to track him down. He found out that this guy owned 20 different uh, businesses throughout his life. But bottom line was I, I went to the courthouse and I asked for a copy of the tax bill and it came back with Domino's corporate on it and it was written by Domino's corporate. So I called them up. They said, yeah, we'll sell you that property. And the next day I got a call that says, wait, we got to wait three and a half years on this day. We'll sell it to you. And I was like, wait a second. I put two and two together and I realized that Domino's was trying to reclaim this property through adverse possession because they had a lawsuit. They had won a judgment against the owner and he had stopped paying the taxes because this guy was 90 years old and he was just done with it. And he was yeah. going to let Domino's have his, his money. So there are elements that you can use in the pre-license, which seems boring and like, I'll never use this. That's what they all say. But there are still great things to take and use as strategies in your practice. Um, but otherwise the two don't mirror yeah. each other very well at all. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people get their license. And then if they don't join a team, don't get good training, don't have that support, don't have the tools and resources, they're kind of left to fend for themselves. And that shows why we have the 90% failure rate within five years, because a lot of agents don't realize how much it actually takes on the flip side though, I find, and you can correct me if you think I'm different, if you think I'm wrong, but if you can figure out those fundamentals and the foundations up front, you can save yourself a lot of headache and a lot of stress and a lot of time if you understand what those are, which is part of what this book is about, is really laying that out and creating a flow for it. But you have to understand what comes in what order as well. And I think that's part of the, the significance of having something like your flow charts, because you need to do the right things in the right order to get the right results. If you do them backwards and you start trying to worry about X, Y, and Z, and you haven't done A, B, and C, X, Y, and Z is irrelevant. That's true. You know, and as a matter of fact, I think that some agents take um, very easily to this and others really struggle with those steps. What's first, what's second, what's yeah. third, putting the cart before the horse will lead to failure over and over again. So many agents that I've spoke with, or I see them lamenting on the internet that this buyer cheated on me. They went to a FISBO, they hired another agent. Well, step one is to uh, qualify. And step two is to sit for a needs analysis, buyer consultation and sign an agency agreement. And that's the steps that you go. And then they say, oh, they cheat on me anyway, or uh, you know, I've actually stood and listened in to many agents try to get a buyer agency agreement signed. And they say things like, um, oh, don't worry that we have to do this because my broker requires it. Mm -hmm. But if it was up to me, we wouldn't. Um, they don't put any money into the commission box. And they say, oh, it's free for you. The seller will pay my commission which is not always true. Or then they get mad when the listing agent only offers them one and a half percent. And they say, ah, I did all this work for nothing. 
well, there's steps. It's it's the way it's the way I look at it, Ryan. Is you could take two twin brothers raised by the same parents, identical in every way, same look on their face, same haircut, same clothes, drive the same car, have the same job, have the same everything. Take them both into a bar. And one of them's going to pull out the hottest, prettiest chick every time. And the other guy's got to go home empty handed because what really the fundamental it comes down to is what you say and how you say it. Yeah, that's it. So if we're both doing step one, step two, step three, and step two is to go do a buyer presentation and speak about um, their needs and their wants and sign agency, you demonstrate your value. We're going to have two totally different outcomes yeah. because we are using different words and we are sometimes repeating ourselves, sometimes in different ways, sometimes the same way. We've got props and sticks and all kinds of stuff. I mean, like, let me see if I've got this thing handy. For example, I used to always ask agents and also just people that were signing an agency with me, um, you know, this is a big deal. If they say, oh, let me think it over or something like that. I say, this is a big deal. And so therefore you should, um, you should sign it with a, with a big pen and I pull <laughs> up this pen yeah. and it's this large pen, you know, and it actually is a, is a ballpoint pen that works. <laughs> and I get a quick chuckle. And then I say, I know that's silly. Yeah. I would, I would never think that a person would actually sign a contract just because I pulled out a, a, a trick pen this really is a big deal, which is why you need a really big pen. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. And you see, like this one, you know, it's as big as my arm. <laughs> and, and this is a ballpoint pen. It really works. And so I had people say, okay, fine, I'll sign, but only if I can use that pen. <laughs> that's awesome. And they, they're, they're like a, they look like a toddler with a crayon signing contracts with me. So it's not just what you say, but how you say it. And that leads to the results for everything in life, not just real estate sales. Yep. And I think the secret to this also is understanding where those steps are and then dissecting it into kind of smaller compartments. And you can kind of work backwards. And this is one thing I love about this industry is it's, we've been around for hundred plus years as real estate agents. We can, like we've, we've, people have done it so many different times. We can literally go back and say, okay, step one, Am I getting this result? Yes or no? Okay, then we need to correct something. If I'm getting that re next result and it's working, okay, what's the next step? Is this, am I doing this right or wrong? Am I doing this right or wrong? And you could literally go through the entire process from getting a lead or cold calling or talk, getting a referral to closing out on the transaction and say, after the step, is it right or wrong? Can I make that better? And when you look at it that way and dissect it, you can start to see opportunities. And I'm a big believer in making small changes. And rather than trying to double my production by doing double my effort by looking at those little things and say, can I be a little bit better here? Am I making a mistake here? Can I make a little change here? Can I make, get better here? That can drastically change. And I find a lot of agents get hung up on trying to just go, I'm going to, I got to do double the effort. I got to fix something massive over here. And it's like, just start at the beginning and start with that workflow and say, is this good is, or is it good enough for now? And then start building that out. And I think with, when the way you've laid it out, it really shows what that process looks like. And you can kind of see where am I going wrong or where can I improve or where am I, where am I doing well? And then work backwards from that. Yeah. I think that um, contemplation reflection is a big part of, of success. So it's yeah. do think adapt, repeat, you know, there's, there's definitely something to be said for look at what you're doing. And you have to be brutally honest with yourself. You have to say, 
I am the the impetus for my success or my failures, 100%, no matter what they are. Uh, and you might say, oh, that was happenstance. You just happened to be standing in that place and this guy walked over. Yes, but you, the decisions that you took in your life led you to be standing on that corner when that interaction occurred. So when you're not getting the results you want, you have to think about it and you have to, in my opinion, write it down. Why am I doing it this way? What are my results? And oftentimes there's a big discrepancy between your plans and your actual actions. And so a lot of students have taken classes with me and we talk about, for example, buyer agency agreement and having that consultation. And I even created a script flow chart for them to follow, which is when you set that presentation appointment, um, there's all these scripts that you use upfront on the phone call or face-to-face. And it's very simple stuff. These scripts are one-liners. I don't ask people to memorize, you know, paragraphs or soliloquies. I don't imagine you're Shakespearean actor on the stage holding a skull in your hand trying to go on and on no one's listening to that crap but little one-liners about why it is that we ought to be doing step one step two and then go show property a lot of agents will give it lip service but then when it comes down to it they have what i call commission breath Mm. you know commission breath is stinks so bad and people can smell it it's a it's an act of desperation and you say, oh, yes, yes, we'll do it your way. Oh, we'll do it your way. Okay, sure. Oh, you don't want to sit down first? They they just hear the objection. They might give the script. They hear the objection, and then they just totally toss all the rest of that out the window. Yeah. And they do, um, you know, they do like uh, Billy Ocean is what I call it. They're Billy Ocean agents, you know. They sing, they sing the song, hey, get in the backseat, baby. You know, let's go look at houses. And um, so – like you said, you can have two people that are the exact same thing and you can have people leave and do the same presentation. One has commission breath and one doesn't. And people can pick up on that. You could literally do the same marketing plan. You could have reached them the same way. And yet the agent who does it naturally has that confidence behind them, isn't desperate and doesn't need that will absolutely win out over the person who does. And I think it's it comes with practice and it comes with time. And that's the, the hard part. If you have never sold before, if you've never gotten this business before and you're new to it, that first year or two can be absolutely daunting. It can be nerve wracking and there is a lot to learn. And I find that's where a lot of agents struggle is you said you chopped out a hundred pages out of your book. There is a lot. However, there's also a proper order in which to learn things. So I want to dive in that way and, and kind of take it from that beginning and kind of just give us the quick roadmap of if someone was new or newer and trying to lay out the, okay, here's my growth plan. Here's how I get there where do you see agents or where should they be starting from? And then how do they layer that on onto their plan? Where you start is the most boring place possible is with a business plan. And I'm not talking about the kind that you see that you buy software for and you have mission statements and all this other jazz pro forma statements and all that stuff. It's not that this a business plan. Oftentimes somebody will make it and then they'll put it on a shelf and they'll never look at it again. Instead, I've designed a business plan that I think works really well, which is where you take your GCI goal for a 12 month period, gross commission income. This is before you pay the broker. This is before you pay your taxes. This is the, the, uh, the total amount you get in all your commission checks. Start with that number. It doesn't matter what it is. And then from there, you start backing off different numbers. So for example, then you subtract how much GCI you've earned so far. Then you divide by the number of months that are remaining in this in this year. Then you divide by your average commission rate. And that will tell you how much sales volume you need. Uh, then you divide by your average transaction price. And that'll tell you how many transactions that you're going to need per month, by the way. 
Then you divide by your client turnover rate. What percentage of clients actually turn into closings? That will tell you how many clients you're going to need on a monthly basis. Divide that by your presentation turnover rate. That will give you your presentations goal for the month. Divide that by your discussion turnover rate. You have to track these things. Yeah. How many discussions are you having? And that will tell you how many discussions you need on a monthly basis. And then you can divide that by the number of days you're going to work per month. And it will tell you exactly how many discussions, real estate related prospecting discussions you need on a daily basis in order to achieve the presentation goal, in order to achieve the client's goal, in order to achieve the transaction goal, which was going to hit you for your volume goal, which was going to hit you for your GCI goal. And so the idea is that if you check in with this every single day, it you know, I need 10 discussions today. Well, everything you don't hit today rolls over till tomorrow. Yeah. So tomorrow you look, you say, oh, we had eight yesterday. Now my, my number's 12. And then the next day, oh, my number was eight again today. Now my number is 14. Yeah. So, or actually it would be more than that. But, but the point is that if you check in with this daily, weekly, set those weekly goals to be hit the presentations. Cause I don't expect agents to have multiple presentations per day. Some do, some don't, most don't, but th that way you can track it and you can know exactly where you're supposed to be. And the best part about this is that you can reward or punish yourself. You can, if you've got all your discussions done and all your presentations done for the week and your friend calls you on Friday and say, the, the pool is feeling good. Let's grab a beer then you can confidently go there knowing that you've got your work done for the week. But if you say uh, you, you're way behind, you have to say, if you're the responsible guy, I have to stay in work, yeah. which is another good reason to get your work done Monday, Tuesday, and exactly. Wednesday so that you can have some time off at the end of the week, especially for that spur of the moment stuff. Yeah. And I, so yes, I say, start with a business plan and then from there implement the business plan. So then you have to learn all the skills of prospecting and it's just a matter of jumping right in. A lot of times you will learn on the fly because you are uh, tongue tied. You know, it's, it's not a bad thing to, to look dumb sometimes because yeah. when you are conscientiously feeling dumb, like you don't have a response, that's something you write down and you go make scripts for that. And you think, why is it in the best interest of the person I'm speaking to, to follow my suggestion? Not why is it best for me that they follow yeah. my suggestion? Why is it in their best interest for them to follow my suggestions? This is the same reason people hire doctors and lawyers and, yep. and uh, accountants and things. It's the same thing. I have an opinion. It should be better than yours because I'm a professional. And if it is, here's why it's in your interest to follow my advice. And when you couch everything that way, then it all, it all falls into line. Yeah. You know, yeah. I saw an agent the other day on the internet and she was complaining that she just lost a listing from a friend. Her friend listed, it was a couple, they listed a two or $3 million house with some other agent and they're her friend and they're her friend. And I can't believe they did this. Well, as people started asking more questions, it turns out that she really wasn't their friend. She had befriended them in hopes that they would give her their listing at one yeah. point or another. And yeah. she only touched them because she wanted to stay in touch to try to get their business, which there's nothing wrong with, but don't mistake that for your friend. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot to unpack that I want to dive into because I think that's, there's a lot of advice that agents should be focusing on if they're willing to keep their eyes open and ears open for that. So I want to start with the, the unpacking the, uh, the numbers on a daily basis. Cause I find 
that that is one of the biggest mistakes that agents make. And they don't know that number. They look at the goal and everyone in the brother can say, yeah, I want to do this much deals. I want to make this much commission. And that's about usually where for a lot of agents, it stops. It's okay. I need to get X amount of deals to get that. And the reality is if you don't know what you need to do on a monthly, quarterly, monthly, weekly, or daily basis, you are not going to hit your goals unless you have a stick up your butt and you're lucky or a horseshoe up your butt and you're lucky. If you don't know that on a daily basis, I can almost with certainty talk to an agent and say, what's your goal for this week or today and know if they're going to be successful or not. Because if you don't get to that level, you don't have a plan. You don't have something to be held accountable to. And then all of a sudden a week goes by, a month goes by, a quarter goes by and you haven't hit your goal and you're that far behind, you're not going to hit it. And, and then you start adjusting your goals. So I think that is one of the easiest things for agents to do. Now, if you're new, you may not know what those numbers are. There are tools and resources that people can read your book. There's a lot of resources out there where you can kind of use industry norms or averages and set that as your benchmark. But as you start going forward with it, you then start adjusting those numbers to match your own. How many conversations do I need to have? How many people do you need to speak with? Like you said, you break that down. That alone will completely change an agent's business. And I, I think that's a huge, great place to start, like you said. And then the working in their best interest is... I want to dive more into that because I think that is something that you and I both agree on that most agents, not most, it's wrong to say most, there's a lot of agents who are transaction-based and they're looking out for just their commission. When you build it around the relationship and helping and providing help to people, that, that transaction is what can separate agents from being average agents to massively successful, but it takes a mind shift change. So let's dive into how you see agents or what their role is and, and how they should be looking out for the client and, and what that would look like for someone if they're maybe stuck or feeling like, how do I, how do I get past the transaction itself? I think being a human. Yeah, that's good. Um, I, I don't have a much better way to say that. And this is something that I, that I preach to my students often. And it, it's just that simple as being a real person. You know, yeah. these days we've got AI, this and that, and there, you don't know if someone who's calling you on the phone is actually a robot or texting you as a robot. Um, now you go to the store and, and you, the, you check yourself out with your own swipe, the card, and you scan your own. We're interacting less and less and less yeah. with people on a more and more common basis. And I think that there is something about hustle culture as well. Oh, I'm a hustler and I, I sling real estate. And I, you know, I used to like tell people that I'm selling houses by the six pack. How can I mark you down? How many can I mark you down for, <laughs> you know, um, wherever you go, you have scripts, whether or not you want to admit it. And so many agents think scripts are phony. Eh, I don't want to seem like I've rehearsed this, but Everyone uses them all the time. In fact, we use them so much. They're so ingrained in who we are. We oftentimes misuse those scripts. Uh, for example, if you are at a restaurant and some the waiter brings your food and you're looking at it and you're salivating, you're getting ready and they're making sure everybody has ketchup and salt and pepper and extra napkins, refill your drinks. Is there anything else I can get you? No, we're good. Great. Enjoy your meal, says the waiter. And some people go, you too. <laughs> exactly. Because... That's like, hey, have a nice day. You too. Yeah, yeah. And so you misuse your script sometimes because they're so ingrained. So my point is this. Why not create some lighthearted, fun, real estate-related scripts that go in all those normal day conversations? That helps to broach the subject. I mean, real estate is sexy. It's a sexy business. 
And everybody likes talking about it. They want to know, oh, you're in real estate. Oh, yeah. Tell me more. And it's very easy to have that chat. And so, you know, you walk up to the cashier and they say, how are you doing today? And you say, selling houses by the six pack. How many can I put you down for? Or this has never happened to me, but this is one of my fun scripts. The cop pulls you over and says, do you know how fast you were driving? And you say, no, sir, officer. I'm sorry, but I was on my way to a listing appointment. And, uh, you know, you can it, you can do it any which way you want. Bring some fun, lighthearted conversation to a person. And when they say that they're actually interested, become focused on that. Don't act so cool that you can just blow it off till next week. When somebody says, I'm interested in buying or selling, they're talking to everybody about that. You know, as soon as you want to buy a new car, you're talking to people about what make and model and color it is. You start noticing it all over the place. People who are interested in buying or selling, they're looking at the internet. They're looking at houses. They're talking to people at work. They're talking to coworkers. They're talking to family. And everybody has a real estate license. So when you get this information, you should, I don't mean pounce on it with commission breath, yeah. but what I do mean is to go into service mode. Yeah. Go into, this is what I do, step one, step two, step three. Let's get you set up here and then there and then there. And when you bring that professionalism there, even if you're wearing sandals with a beer in your hand, they're going to respect that. They're going to recognize the difference between a guy who's got commission breath. Oh, 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 jump in the backseat. Come on, let's go. Come on, out of my dreams, into my car. Instead, they say, oh, this guy's calm, but he is on the ball. He is moving the ball forward down the down the field. And I think that's something that's missing from a lot of agents. They either play it too cool yeah. or they play it like they're, um, you know, like a hyper ecstatic dog. You know, <laughs> and neither one of those is attractive in the world where we deal with robots more and more often. Yeah. So I would say be a person. That's that's an, it's a big part of understanding human psychology will help that as well. And one of the things I, I talk about, the things I believe farming is about is I call it CPR. And for our viewers, if they watch, they know we talk about all the time is community positioning and relationships. And the ultimate goal is the relationship itself. And a lot of agents are focused on the end goal is the transaction. The transaction is a byproduct of the relationships. And when we have a community that we serve, whether it's geographic farming or however you're doing that, when you serve the community, you put the community first, you then position yourself as an expert and an ambassador. You become an ambassador for them. You look for their problems and you say, how can I solve the problems? How can I look out for you? And you fight for them. You're the, you fight for the underdog and you work for them. Then the byproduct is relationships. And then the byproduct of that is then the transaction. And I've seen so many agents' businesses have shifted from when they are just transaction focused or just commission breath to shifting to the relationship. It creates so many more opportunities too. And I think so many agents get stuck going, what do I do? How do I do this? How do I, how do I add value? Because they're only thinking just real estate specific. They're, they're going, how do I find someone who's trying to find a house and how do I market their home or how do I sell them a house? And the reality is that's the, again, the byproduct. It's the, what problems do they have along the way? And when we can create value for them and we can help solve their problems, then they just go, okay, I trust Ryan. Oh, he's helped me with this, this, and this. He, he's, he's the natural choice. So I think the, the human part of it comes into play when you understand that the person on the other side is not just someone you're doing a transaction with. It's a person and they have needs, emotions, and feelings and, and desires, and they need things that needs fixed. And we have an opportunity to do that, that can completely change the game in, in my belief.
Yeah, and not just that, but I mean, if you want to relate to people on a human level and you don't want to constantly be running around saying, who do you know, who do you know, who do you know, looking to buy or sell, which that's really the number one script, but it can be used sparingly or in the right moments. Go, whatever your hobby is, whatever you enjoy doing, go do that thing with other people. If you like bowling, go join a bowling league, hang out at the bowling alley, go there every single uh, day after work and spend hours there. Go bowl yourself, talk to the other people, get to know the management, get to know the other patrons, the, the regulars, uh, host a, uh, or uh, what do you say, sponsor a youth league, um, get in to do that thing. And you will pull so much business yeah. out of the relationships within that pool of people. You know, if you're a lush Go sit at the bar every day after work. Go spend all weekend there. Instead of drinking by yourself on your back deck, go drink in public with other people and and you will pull business out of there because you will develop a relationship with with people that are just normal. And there's one guy there who's an accountant and there's another guy there who's a plumber and there's another school teacher and there's everybody does business with each other. Everybody knows they rely on that one first because they know and like you and trust you as they say. So it does, it's not that difficult if you just go out there. So many agents have a hard time with the telephone. In my opinion, the phone should be the follow-up piece. Right. So if I'm meeting you in real life and I know you, and then you say to me, Hey, I've got a cousin who's looking to move to town. Then I say, wonderful. I'm going to call you Monday at 10 AM. And so you make an appointment to talk on the phone and then you call and follow up. And then that's when you can do your business more more succinctly. Otherwise, use the phone for FISBOs and expires and things yeah. like that. But if you're just trying to call your database, yeah, that's fine, but it's better to go see them. Be a person, be relatable. Yep. yep. And I think too, like you said, is when you do it, do it things that you enjoy, you will be able to be yourself a lot easier than doing something you don't enjoy. And you're, you will connect with people who have similar beliefs and values and interests, and you will be able to connect on those things versus if you're shoved in something you can't stand or don't want to do, you're not going to like it. That being said, I think also there are some things where we have to get uncomfortable and there are some things where we have to like, yeah, it may not be easy to talk to strangers, but the more comfortable you are with that, the better it is for you. I know with your, your, your past, you've kind of picked one thing, really mastered it and narrowed down like for sale by owners. That was your thing. And I know you, you narrowed down how, or what advice would you give to agents who are trying to find something or trying to start with an approach, whether that's cold calling, door knocking, FISBOs, whatever, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to figure out what should I be doing? First of all, I have to say all prospecting methods work, all of them. And I think that a lot of agents get stuck with the new mixed shiny object. And so there's always going to be someone on the internet or someone who calls you on the phone and they've got a shiny object. Look at this thing. This thing just makes buyers fall from heaven. You should pay for it. And then they say, oh, yeah. And they throw what they're doing away and they go after that. And about every month or every quarter, something else comes out. You know, there was the talking house and there's um, all the rest of them escaped me momentarily. But there's always a new Nick shiny object. And so in my opinion, pick one and stick with it. It takes time. And it's kind of... Um, they're also niched. They all require their own specialized scripting. And so uh, the people who you approach who are FISBO are not the same attitude as those who are expired. Even though we talk about them in the same breath, we say FISBOs and expires as though that's the same kind of prospect. And it's very much not the case. And so I would say 
that by diving into one thing only, that it's kind of like Cortez burning his ships at the shore. There's no turning back. We're not going to try something else. We are trying this right now. And so you... You try to do that thing, but you also have to be careful not to do it the same way as everyone else. Yeah. It's kind of like all this has come before. Why not just go and do it like everyone else does? That's fine for strategy purposes, but you have to have your tactics slightly twisted so that way you stick out from the crowd because the majority of people will act the same way. You see this in literally in crowds all the time. If you see a large crowd trying to funnel through a narrow entry, all you have to do is go to the very edge, hug the wall, and you slip right through the door. So knowing how the crowd reacts and you see everyone else say, oh, you're a member of the crowd. I can tell because the way you're talking, the way you're walking, the way you look. But then here comes me and I slip around the corner and say, hey, I saw <laughs> what you did there. That's interesting. Uh, Fizbo's and expires are the same way. I tend to say... Learn the fundamentals, learn why it works, practice, practice, practice constantly. Like we said in the beginning of this conversation, reflect upon what you did, twist it a little bit and go back and try it again. It's constantly repeat. Um, I think that those of us who played organized sports as a youth, I think have an advantage here because that's kind of one of those things that, especially if you played football or anything that's that physical, because you get literally knocked down <laughs> and sometimes kicked and you have to get up and do it again. And that happens a hundred times per day. And that gives you a certain amount of resolve to know, I will figure this out. So long as I just keep going, um, I can work harder and smarter and longer hours than the next guy. I can try something slightly different. You'll find that people will, will respond and react to you have a different approach. You know, a very quick thing, Fizbo's, a lot of agents call and say, hey, I kind of saw it maybe might have a buyer, but you're going to have to let me in to see it first. And then the Fizbo says, sure, go right ahead. Turns out the agent's a liar. They don't have a friend or I've seen before where an agent will take another agent and they'll pretend like they're a buyer. <laughs> yeah. Now these days with the internet, it's probably pretty easy to figure out that that guy's an agent, but they come to this uh, FISBO meeting and the FISBO thinks this is a buyer and the agent is lying. And so you're starting off this relationship. Like you said before, it's a relationship with a lie. How yeah. do you expect to get the listing now? And now they walk in, they try to do a listing appointment. A presentation and the seller's like, hey, what the hell are you doing uh, when it comes to Fizbo's? Uh, so therefore, I, I just use the script that's simply, if I could show you a way to sell your house faster, net you more money, and I do all the work, would you hire me today? Now, of course, they're going to have a bunch of responses like, I don't know how you could do that. Well, let me come over and show you. Uh, why don't you just tell me over the phone or email it to me or send me to a website? No, no, no. If you want to see my plan, you're going to have to see my face. Um you know, these types of things to where you're different. You're not the same. Expired listings. I like to use the humor with them, you know, leave a voicemail. You know, why did the chicken cross the road? To stand in line and make an offer on one of my listings. That's why. <laughs> Silly. Yeah, but it ain't no joke. My name is Peter. Call me. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. You know, you get, you leave two, three, four voicemails like that. And what happens is they answer your call. Uh, on the third one. And they say, dude, I saved your number. You're the only one that I'm going to let do a presentation because you were different. Yeah. How did I know what all the other expired listing agents said on their voicemails? Um, I put my house up for sale, let it expire. And then I sat there and took the phone calls and acted <laughs> like I was the owner. And you know awesome. what they all say? 
hey, I'm number one. I'm the best agent. I'm number one. My mom loves me the best. And you will too. I'm number one. Did I mention that I was number one? Yeah. And every single one of them had the same script. Well, how could they all be number one? Then here comes a guy telling, you know, corny jokes. You know, how many list, how many uh, real estate agents does it take to change a light bulb? Uh, well, one hold the ladder and two to scratch their head, wondering why their listings expired. Well, I know why. My name is Peter. Give me a call. You know, it's simply that. And boom, that works. Why? I'm acting like a human. I'm not trying to prop you up and say, hey, I'm the best guy in town, because that's a subjective thing to say anyhow. And that's up for them to decide. I want to show that I can bring humanity to the conversation and that's someone they can relate to. And you know something? Most of the times, I did not get the listing, but I got the conversation. There was one time a woman said, I'm only taking your call because of your humor. Um, I divorced the guy who owns this house 10 years ago. I don't know how Red X or whatever has my number, but all the agents are calling me. And so she said, you're the only one I'm going to give you his cell number. And this was mm. back when cell numbers were very guarded. You couldn't get them. Yeah, and yeah. Boom. I got the listing because I was the only one that got through to the guy because yeah. of that. Yeah. That's huge. And like so, you said, it, it's, you have to be focused. And I, I see agents all the time in Facebook groups and they're saying like, I've tried everything. What works? And it's like, if you've told me you've tried everything, which means you didn't really try everything. You, you sampled some things and you, the only way to really try it and give it a fair go is if you are committed to it and three weeks a month is not enough to do that. And you have to be persistent. Right. You have to build your voice. You have to find your, your part in it. And I, I go back to Alex Ramosi, one of his things that I, I love. And he talks about uh, better over more over new and, if you're trying to build something, how can I make it better first? Before you do more of it, before you do anything else, go, how can I make this better? So if you are doing lead generation of whatever it is, how can I be better at it? How can I be better than the person who else is doing it? How can I be different? How can I do it? Then you go, okay, now that I've got that, how do I do more of it? Then worry about moving on to something new. And I've seen agents dabble in a million things and they never become real masters at it. They never really stand out. And that's how they blend in with everyone because they're just doing, they take the basic script, the basic thing that everyone else is doing, and like you said, there, there are those people funneling into, into the middle and they're not going to stand out, but you have to find your voice. And when you are unique and you are yourself, it becomes easier. So if you're just using the same thing that everyone else is using, people aren't going to connect with you. And, and they're going to, you're going to hear people say like, you're just like everyone else. All realtors are the same. You guys are all, all the same. So yeah, I think it's, it's huge to stand out like that um, or to, to, to be focused like that. When would you say is time to shift gears because i've seen people try things and maybe it's not their thing maybe it's they're not good at it what what advice would you give to someone who is trying something and going okay maybe this this strategy isn't for me maybe this approach is not the right right move i would say that real estate is not for everybody to begin yeah. with it's just not you know um just not anybody can do just any job but uh, you know they make a lot of tv shows about real estate agents and they make it seem like it's so fun and easy um you know i've hired over Two, three hundred agents, uh, you know, interviewed and hired them for my brokerage in the past. Um, I always would ask them, why did you get a real estate license? Whether they've been doing this for 20 years or they were brand new. The majority of the answers that I got was, I like looking at houses. That's not what this job is. This job is this much looking at houses. Yeah. And by the way, I mean, you could probably attest to this. Once you go out and you show buyers houses for, let's say, three years straight, and you're out there looking at 
15 to 30 houses per week for three years straight. Pretty soon, Ryan, I can look at a house from the curb and I can tell you what the floor plan is. I can tell yeah. you where the kitchen's on the left or the right side of the house. I can tell you if this is the mirror image of that house over there. Um, I can tell you all kinds of stuff. I can tell you what the flooring is made of, what the cabinets are made of, just by looking at the outside. I could tell you what it was designed initially. Now, if they've renovated it, that's a different story. It gets boring looking at houses, is my point. If you do this enough, that's that's not the job. That's not what this is. You can make what, $25 to $50 per door, unlocking doors for agents. You can go get a job on a sales team doing that if that's what you enjoy doing. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you need to shift into, this is a salesperson's job. And everybody hates that word. I'm not a salesman. Well, in Georgia, our license actually says salesperson's license. You either have a salesperson's license or a broker's license. And so I always ask them, pull out your, your uh, license and look at it. It's a salesman right there. <laughs> yeah. um, they say, no, I'm an advisor. I'm a consultant. That's wonderful. If you want to market yourself that way, that's cool. But remember that you are a salesperson and you must employ sales techniques. This doesn't mean that you are some sleazy used car salesman with all the chest hair and a gold chain on it. And you're selling, you know, broken dreams and broken promises. This is much more of helping people make smart buying and selling decisions. That's what your job is. Helping them to make smart buying and selling decisions. That's it. That's why we said before that you want to approach this in the way of why is this in your best interest to follow this path and not this other path? Because I've been down that road before and I've seen the potholes and I've seen the treachery. You're going to fall off the side of the cliff and then you're going to go and blame me. You know, it's one of those same reasons why you should not take overpriced listings. Everyone's going to scream and yell, ah, well, guess what? Everybody in that neighborhood, especially if you're farming that neighborhood, mind you, if you're farming that neighborhood and everyone's getting your literature and if you're knocking on doors and you're hosting parties at the pool house, everybody knows you and you get a listing and it's overpriced. Nobody knows that it's overpriced. All they know is every day for six months, they drive past that yeah, sign yeah. on the way to work and they drive past it on the way home. And they don't think to themselves, boy, that must be one unreasonable seller with a price too <laughs> exactly. high. No, they think, guess what? That Peter sucks at his job. That's what they think. Yeah. And so when you start to contemplate and realize these little things and how your words can impact your future, it's all about what you say and how you say it. Sometimes it's best to skip that listing, but use some words that will ensure that you get that listing at the right price. How? Yeah. Well, I used to do that with expired listings. You go in there and say, I can't list for that price because I can't look myself in the mirror. I can't look at you and tell you when I send a listing agreement, I'm saying I can sell this house at this price. And I'm telling you in my heart, I don't believe I can. Mm -hmm. So I would be lying to you to list it at this price. Now, I know a lot of agents are going to want to take that listing at this price because they're going to fool you up front, hoping they can get you to lower the price later after everything else is cooled down, or they're going to try to use your listing as a uh, a billboard to put a sign in your yard in order to attract buyers that they can go sell other properties to. So they're either using you for buyers or they're using you to try to chip away and say, well, the market said. So therefore, I would say this, you want to hire me, but you don't like my price. Is that right? Yes. Great. Go list with that guy. Take him. However, when he asks you to reduce the price, you need to say to him, 
I need you to put in the listing agreement right now that if you uh, lower the price that you pay me cash for the difference. <laughs> well, the, that agent's going to say, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> why, why not? You said you could sell it for that price. That's why you're listing it here. And so then they will say, well, would you take the same deal? And I say, no, because I'm not quoting you some crazy high number. They're only, they're buying your listing, you yeah. see? And they say, okay, I understand. Okay, look, here's the deal. If this is the price that I think is right and you want to hire me, then reserve this price for me. Go hire mm. that other guy. Try it for three months, six months, whatever you want, but don't take a price reduction with him because he says he can sell at that price. Then think, try it out. Yeah. But, but when it expires and you're ready to try this price, that's when you call me. And I used to get so many listings this way. You know, I love they, that. and sometimes I'd call them back in three months. No, I'm going to try it again. Sometimes they'll try two, three agents. <laughs> yeah. And I've had agents call me. Because uh, I'll get the listing after it expires. I'll take the listing and 10 days later, I have it pending. And then they'll call me and say, what the hell? You stole my listing. And I say, what do you mean? <laughs> Look at that price. I could have sold at that price. And I said, then why didn't you? Yeah. So it's a matter of what you say and how you say it. Being a person. Do you know how many agents have commission breath that would be deathly afraid at the suggestion that maybe that the seller ought to hire somebody else. It's the same question. Hey, I'm coming over there to talk to you about listing. Are you interviewing other agents? When I teach that in class, some students say, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Why would you put the idea in their head that they can hire other agents? See, what do you think? They're stupid? Yep. Come on. I mean, they're a person. They've had the idea of get a second opinion. So why not make that, I'd like to come first. I'd like to be the first agent to interview. So many agents say, I'd like to be the last. I think that's a mistake because I got burned that way. And yeah. anyway, my point is, it's what you say and how you say yeah. it. I, yeah. Ryan, for the that's life awesome. me, I can't remember the prompt you used to start me off with, but I, <laughs> on a, a I like I like that where it went. And that's I, that is huge because... I, when I started my broker, when I joined a team, he said to me, he's like, Ryan, he's like, if you take a listing that's overpriced, he's like, you might as well literally write him a check for a thousand dollars, walk away and let someone take it. Cause it's going to cost you that in time, energy, frustrations, and what you could be doing. And I really stuck with that. In, and over reputation. My career. And that's exactly. And reputation. especially like you said, if you're farming that, that, that adds up. And the, I love the way you worded that. And I love that because it, it shows you have confidence in what you in you in what you believe in, and really, at the end of the day, a lot of sellers are hiring you for your confidence and that you are comfortable knowing what you're doing. And when you can firmly say this is what I believe, they may shift gears, they may they may list with someone else and then come back to you. But it shows that like no, this is what I believe, this is what I say, and they're going to be drawn to that. So that's huge. So I I really like that. That's a I'm going to talk to my partner Nikki about that because I think it's a good good script. So um so. Wrapping it's all up. about plans. It's all about helping them make a strategy. That's yeah. it. Whether they're a buyer or a seller, let's come up with a strategy. What's your deadline? What do you have yep. to do? What do you have to do that? And, and even when the seller says, I'm in no hurry, say, great. When you sell, where are you going? Why are you leaving? And they start telling you, especially when they say, well, we're retired. We're in no hurry. I'm not going to yep. give it away. We're going to move to Florida to be with the grandkids. And I say, okay, great. You're not in a hurry. And they said, no. I said, how old are your grandkids? You know, seven and 10 years old. Okay, wonderful. So I don't have to tell you, you're older than me. Time slips fast, right? They say, yeah. Okay, so if you're not in a hurry, you would have put the price way up here and it won't sell. How much is every missed birthday party hmm. and, and dance recital and swim meet? How much are each of those worth to you that you've missed and that you will not get back? And then suddenly they go, <laughs> oh, I guess I am in a hurry. 
Like, yeah, yeah th- you don't have to rush out the door as a fire sale, but let's not play this like, hey, I got all the time in the world because you don't. You know, yeah. just talking to them as a person, that's the kind of thing that a lot of people say, I'm going to lose this listing if I talk to the guy that way. Actually, that's what attracts them to me yeah. is just being a person and yeah. showing them that this is the way that you might actually want to consider versus what you're telling me. Have a suggestion. Just because you disagree doesn't mean it has to be contentious. It's just that there are other ideas in the world. Yep. And when you have Bring the conviction behind that, it, it does come out naturally and it does come out with conviction that they will believe it and and you believe it. And you don't, you don't have to, when you state what you believe and you, you know what's in their best interests, they're going to appreciate it. And if they don't, then they don't. So, uh, so to wrap up here, sure. If you were to give advice to someone who's getting started or maybe kind of struggling going from that, just getting things rolling to the next level, what advice would you give to our viewers? Um, I would say it definitely helps to have the right advice. Um, I think this is where a lot of agents struggle. So that's the reason I wrote this handbook was to give them a benchmark, a starting place, a rock that they can rely upon. And I promise everything is in the book. When I coach agents and they say, uh, I've got a question. I say, would you be surprised if I told you this is in the book? And I tell them the page number and they say, look at that. It's it's literally almost everything you need is there. Um, I think that a lot of agents get bad advice from the guy in the cubicle next to them yep. or on the internet next to them or whatever it is. And it's the same as when I was in college and I was a waiter and a bartender. So many people would come in they would be terrible waiters and they would make half as much money as the good ones because they didn't... They, they basically are following the advice of those who are also crummy at their job. So you need to look at the person who consider the source, consider the source. When I was a brand new agent, the, one of the things that was pretty common in our market, and it's kind of gone away since the old COVID scare was that there's um, agent caravans. They would do them on Tuesdays. They all the sales meetings would be on Tuesday in the office. And then everybody go out and caravan. And so I used to get the flyers in my mailbox and I'd pull out all the ones that gave door prizes and raffles and serve food. And so I'd go to all those first <laughs> and I would show up and I would go by myself and I would get a big plate of food, a big plate of food I can eat. And I would sit down and I'd put that fork in my mouth and I would say, so I'm, I'd sit down with a table of strangers. I'm brand new agent. I know nothing. What should I know? And then I just shut up and eat. And they all talk, 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 talk. And then I ask them questions to follow up. How long have you been in the business? How many sales did you have last year? How many did you have the year before that? What was your most productive year? And I started to notice that all of the looky-loos, all the socialites, all the ones that just want to go around and pretend like they're a real estate agent, play it on TV, so to speak. They had similar advice. And the agents that were productive had a different set of advice. In fact, what I started to figure out was the productive agents didn't attend the sales meetings. Exactly. They didn't attend the luncheons. They yeah. were out working. Yeah. So, you know, consider the source of the information you're receiving. Yeah. That's my advice. That's and I would also say, stay away from the internet for advice on real estate sales. It is full of dead ends. Don't follow yeah. that stuff. Unless it's this show, then you can listen to it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so we always. I'm speaking more specifically about the message board stuff. Yeah, you know? exactly. People go the, on there the and Facebook say this groups are, and everybody piles yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, and it's a lot of that comes yeah. from emotions and not experience and just what they think. So yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. So we always wrap up with the best book. It's like, oh, go ahead. Sure. I was going to say, it's like 10% good advice and 90% yep. bad advice. Tell them the 10% of good advice that they're idiots. And so if you don't <laughs> exactly. know what you're looking at, it seems that the, that the, the good advice is the wrong advice if you yep. look at it. So 
Anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, what book do I recommend? I recommend this this handbook here. I'm gonna show a picture of it again. Yep. I think it's fantastic. It works. It's it's humorous. It's entertaining. Uh, it looks good on your coffee table. You know, I tell agents, say, oh, I just don't have time to read these days, Peter. Do you have it on tape? Is it on PDF? Say, no, you can't get all this in PDF. You can't, yeah. it's not the same experience. You can't flip through it that way. Take, put it in the bathroom and read it when you're in the bathroom. If nothing else, you'll come out of there with a little tidbit, a little more, a little yep. more. Um, it's uh, it's kind of like taking a sip off a fire hose. I know there's a lot of content there, but the cool thing is it's like a choose your own adventure real estate book. Whatever is interesting, you flip through, see a picture you like, and look at what it says. You'll follow a cross-reference. You'll turn the page. You'll go here. You'll go there. And before long, you'll say, you know what? I need, I need to start in the beginning and start reading right through. And uh, it's definitely written with a sense of humor in mind. And if you don't find it humorous, then you might be a dud. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we'll put that in the show notes so our viewers can check that out. And how can they connect with you, find out more about you, and also give a plug for the, the whole package that you got too, because I think you got some awesome stuff in there too. Oh, I've got all kinds of other um, helping things for agents. You know, I've got, uh, let's see what else is here. Created this book called the logbook, And this actually is all about that business plan. It allows you to track. Um, it's a, it's a journal. So you can write in it three times. Uh, so once a year on the same date, and it's got a prompt there that's supposed to get you to think about how to improve your business. Also, all of these little prompts are cross-referenced back to the handbook nice. as well. So if you get a prompt and you don't know what it is, you can go back there and then you can track those things we were talking about earlier, which is you know, um, how many discussions did you have? How many presentations were they buyers, sellers? How many transactions did you have today closed? So this is really cool. And in the back, then it's got a way to keep your business plan there. And this might look crazy for most people, but this is a, a really good way of tracking. Uh, I got another book that's called The Playbook. I call it a 90-day kick in the ass. It's basically the same thing, but it's a fill in the blank. And for every half hour of the day, your alarm goes off and you mark what you spent that time doing. So nice. you can actually add up how many hours you actually spend working. Did you go look at property? What's your attitude? Same other things. You know, how big's your database? How, how'd you add to? And then I've got other pieces too that are like script mats. There are flow charts to help find prospects. And, and, and then also, um, you know, this is a buyer presentation mat to do needs and wants analysis. And you see it's dry erase so that you can scribble on it, scratch it off, take a picture of it so that it's got a way to describe the whole buying and selling process. So I've got a bunch of these different ones. Also, the one we talked about earlier, like business plan. You know, I've got these as well. And I've got this thing called the scorecard for buyers to help help them to, uh, there's all kinds of stuff that some of it, half of it is free on my website, join.realestate. The other half of the stuff costs money and you can either buy it all in one box or you can buy it a la carte. You know, it's all on Amazon. You can find it at my website as well, join.realestate. Sure. We'll drop screen. that in the show notes as well so people can check that out. And I think, again, if you are looking for that, all-in-one system to get started. And I think it's a fantastic opportunity for agents to really work through it. And I think if you, like you said, implement it, that is the key. And it, like anything, you can read, tell the cows come home. You can, I've got a million books. If I don't implement what's in that book, it's not going to make a difference. So you have to take the information, internalize it, work through it, go through it and, and to take action. You'll see the success. And I think you've done it in a really great way. That is personable, just like you described how you should be with your clients. You've done that in the form of a book and you've taken that and, and personalized it. And it's not this stuffy snobby or 
theoretical thing, it, it, it puts it into real practice, which I think is a huge thing for our agents. And if you're willing to do that, take that time and, and put the time in to do it, you'll see the results. And th then you have no excuse. What if you've read it and you didn't do it and you don't have the results, there's no one to blame but yourself. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and I want to add that the title politically incorrect, it means to not be a victim to yourself or yeah. your surroundings. It means to take charge of your own business. It means to take the bull by the horns. That doesn't mean go around acting like a jerk all over the place. <laughs> yeah. It means that you insert yourself into the conversation. You have as much right to be in the room as anyone else who's standing in that room, that your opinion matters as well. So you might as well have one. Everyone's looking to hear your advice if you're the professional in the room yeah. and actually have a reason that that's what you believe have something to back it up with be able to cite a source or two be able to know a few um, statistics so that you can sound like you know what you're talking about and and then be a person so that's what the politically incorrect angle is it has nothing to do with politics it simply has to do with you not being a victim to yourself or to your surroundings um, and when you do that this is your business. Yeah. You are the boss and the employee in the same body. And, you know, you have to do well by the boss and you have to do well by your employee. Um, you know, some people, they, they take that to mean work a hundred hours a week and other people take that to mean, I don't have to work this week and everything in between. And so it's, it's not just working hard, but working in a way that, that hits results. Yeah. You know, I think exactly. we've said it all today. Yeah, that's awesome. And Thank in you, page, I think it's page 178, some beard tips in there, or is that, no, just kidding. How to grow your beard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. the beard tip is that you must comb it 100 <laughs> strokes on each side each night before bed. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Peter, I really appreciate you being on the show and sharing your years of insight and wisdom and experience with our agents. And again, I always say if they just take a fraction and implement that in their business, they will see results. It just takes that courage and the time and energy to do it. And I thank you for sharing that with our audience. I know they're going to get a lot out of this episode. Ryan, thank you for having me. It was a blast. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for checking out today's episode. If you'd like more videos like this, be sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Facebook page and our other social media channels. Looking forward to bringing you more great content like this and happy farming.